Hey, Chris. Do you think vampires have curfews? I'm pretty sure their curfew is when the sun rises. No, no. I'm talking, for instance, if you were my kid and you and your brothers got turned into vampires at a young age, what do you think your curfews would be? Wait, why am I your kid and where did these brothers come from? I don't know, man. What should our curfew be? That'd be midnight, sons. Oh, that's a horrible dad joke. That's no way to talk to your father. Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Lance, and today we're talking about Morbius, the living vampire. I'm very excited to talk about this pseudo-vampire, but I'm even more excited to introduce my friend and returning guest host, Chris, from the Geek Peak and High on Horror podcasts. Hey, Chris. What up, Lance? How's it going, man? Pretty good. I'm so ready for this. It was so much fun having you on for our season finale with... Uh, carnage so uh, i cannot wait to talk about this character with you today i know i i feel like i learned so much about morbius uh like i had only really ever seen him as a guest character in that maximum carnage run that we had discussed so this was very eye-opening especially leading up to the uh the new film coming out um i feel a lot more comfortable going in knowing kind of what his backstory is who he is and what part he's going to potentially play in the uh the MCU or the Sony verse at this point, I feel like they're bleeding together. Yeah. It's kind of a toss up just because we got Keaton in those trailers for Morbius. And so it's clearly around wherever Tom Holland is. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Now we will be talking spoilers for the comics. And of course, as we're talking about the comics, we might be saying some things that potentially could show up in the film. So we obviously have not seen the film. That would be awesome if we could have had early screenings, <laughs> but uh, we are just giving you a warning in case we say things that might happen in the film. Early screenings. I'm, by that, you mean a bootleg copy because this movie has been in purgatory for years now. <laughs> yeah. I, some people are like, I still don't believe this movie even exists. <laughs> All right. We got a lot to talk about today. So let's jump in right to the bio and origin. Dr. Michael Morbius lived an isolated childhood due to a rare blood condition, leaving him weak, prone to injury, and let's just say less than handsome. While being raised by a single mother in Greece, Morbius would spend his time reading in isolation. His high intellect would result in becoming a Nobel Prize winning biologist and biochemist specializing in human and animal biology. He actually has a medical degree in hematology, which is the study of cause, treatment, and prevention of blood-related diseases. Desperate to cure the blood disease that was slowly killing him, Morbius underwent an experimental treatment mixing vampire DNA, chemical ingestion, and electroshock therapy. Chris, does that sound like a good idea to you? Lightning is never a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Morbius was cured of the initial blood disease, but inadvertently resulted in turning himself into a pseudo-vampire, which is just a person that is a scientifically made vampire rather than supernatural. While he is not undead, Morbius acquired many powers and abilities associated with vampires, as well as a lust for blood. However, he did not acquire the same vulnerabilities of a supernatural vampire, which plays into kind of some humorous interactions in the comic books, people holding up crosses and him being like, that does nothing. (laughs) Science. (laughs) (laughs) A cool bit of knowledge too, just about his bio origin is actually his relationship with Blade. Now we all know Blade as the vampire hunting, the awesome sword wielding Wesley Snipes. Before we got the Blade that we know now, He was actually just a human that was fighting against vampires, but thanks to the result of his mother being attacked by a vampire while she was pregnant, and then a bite from Morbius, it actually resulted in Blade becoming a damper, or a dampier, which is a half-vampire, and that's why he's known as the Daywalker, because now he presents also as a half-vampire, but also not as, he doesn't have a lot of the same vulnerabilities as a vampire would either. 
Blade also puts a dampier on some vampires' lifestyles. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm bringing the dad jokes too, Lance. You, you don't corner the market on these. <laughs> All right, Chris, you want to take us into the about the character section? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Dr. Michael Morbius, his name and aliases, in addition to that, are Dr. Morgan Michaels, little alliteration there, and some Nikos Michaels. Um, his powers and abilities. He's got genius level intellect. He's tra- he's a trained biologist and biochemist. He's got superhuman strength, speed, senses, and durability. He also has flight, which is through the form of transvection. He can navigate wind currents and glide great distances, which I think is pretty like a really cool concept. It's that he just can't fly everywhere, but he actually uses the wind to move. I love a good science vampire using wind currents. Right. That's rad. It's, it's so cool. <laughs> I, I read in one spot too that it's more of a oh, how did they word it? It's more of a like psionic way of flight rather than just having like the ability to fly. I can appreciate that. And playing into the psionic abilities, he also has hypnotism, which is a very vampiric ability. Accelerated healing, which uh, he's unable to regenerate missing organs or limbs, um, but he heals real quick. Like <laughs> um, he's got night vision and echolocation, or as they call it in the Morbius trailer, bat radar. <laughs> I hate that part so much. Like legi- I know. <laughs> legitimately in the theater, when we saw the trailer for the first time, everyone was just like, what the freak is bat radar? <laughs> Say echolocation. They're really, they're really appealing to the lowest common denominator there. <laughs> like, like in school, I'm talking like maybe what second, third grade, because you know they have all those like pictures of animals and like watching like nature documentaries, all that stuff. They say yeah. echolocation a million times. Yeah, zoo books, man. <laughs> <laughs> we had that stuff down when we were like five. <laughs> you dang zoomers. <laughs> um. And then in addition, he can also turn others into living vampires such as himself. Because he is a scientifically made vampire, like we said before, he doesn't possess the normal weaknesses of a supernatural vampire. So garlic, holy water, crucifixes, silver isn't going to stop him. But I love the fact that the comics also make the point to say, yeah, those don't affect me. But, you know, if you stab me in the heart with anything, it's probably (laughs) not going to feel great for me. Yeah, no regeneration of that heart, as we noted earlier. Yeah. So there is no shape-shifting of animals or controlling of animals, but like we mentioned, he actually does have a level of hypnotism, but the people have to have basically low willpower for him to be able to do it. Uh, Characters that have like high willpower, it's not going to work on them. It reminds me of... uh the force manipulation in star Wars yes. where like, if you have really, <clears throat> if you have a really strong will, it just bounces off you. Oddly enough, the one example we see in star Wars, not to get off on a tangent is Watto, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the slave owner from Tatooine that owns Anakin and his Jeez. mother. Jeez. This is not the vampire you're looking for. <laughs> At one point, though, Morbius was able to turn his body into liquid, uh, but that ended when the demon Bloodthirst stopped possessing him. Yeah, it's real weird. Probably the only kind of related weakness with supernatural vampires that Morbius does have is he does have an aversion to the sunlight. Okay, I can I can respect that. I feel like that's a very reasonable weakness to give him. Or at least, maybe not a weakness, but, you know, a nuisance to him. Because I, I would be a little disappointed if in the comics someone just whipped out a cross and he just lit on fire. <laughs> right. Oh, that'd be so lame. After drinking Spider-Man's blood, Morbius became human again for a short time without the lust for blood. He would later develop a serum with Spider-Man's blood to satiate his bloodlust for short periods of time. In doing my research, not to get ahead of us, but like in his first appearance, I thought it was really interesting when Spider-Man teamed up with Kurt Connors, uh, the lizard, to try and capture Morbius to help like cure him. I feel like that combo is super intriguing to me. Um, One, Connors being, you know, obviously a scientist. And then like their whole hunt for him is literally to try to treat him 
um, and stop him from killing people. And he's just like, no, I'm trying to eat. <laughs> <laughs> he's hangry. Daddy's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> now, Morbius's affiliations are very interesting. So he was a part of the original The Nine that were put together by Doctor Strange. Probably the team that he's known best for is what, Chris? You want to go ahead and say that one? The Midnight Suns. Yeah, it, that is such an incredible team. Every single time I see those covers, I want them all because, wow, that's a lineup. They're so cool. The one that you sent me last night where he's like actually looking like a vampire bat, is that from the Midnight Suns or is that just a Morbius run? So that's from the Morbius run that I have for my reading suggestion. Oh, nice. Okay, I won't get ahead of us then. Yeah. Other teams he is a part of is Armor, Legion of Monsters, which is another incredible team with like Man-Thing and Werewolf by Night, and I want that cover so badly. Uh, I think it's like special... Like special feature twenty eight or Marvel premiere twenty eight. I need a. I need it though. I want it in my life. It's incredible. He's also been affiliated with Shield at one point, as well as the Agents of Wakanda. That one surprised me. I I did not Same. see that coming. <laughs> no, that one came out of left field. When I was like doing my research, uh, you know, kind of on the back end of his uh, features in. I won't say more modern comics, but after the nineties, really, um, I thought it was interesting to see that he had kind of been, he, he kind of plays a support role as a scientist in a lot of different random, uh, runs. Like I remember one off the top of my head was Savage. She, she Hulk, um, and West coast Avengers. He was featured in where he's playing more of a doctor, like a brain role, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, Morbius is a really interesting character that they can throw into those situations because he is so intelligent. He's able to help out when he's in control, but he always adds that variable into the mix of, is he going to lose control? And you're kind of crossing your fingers that he does in those storylines so that yeah. you can see these awesome fights between heroes and Morbius. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, Banner in the original um, Avengers film where like they're on the the shield helicarrier and it's like, yeah, you got this super, super intelligent guy, but God forbid he goes insane. Yeah. Those, t those type of characters just add a lot of fun and variety and chaos to the mix, which is always a great thing to have in your comics. We're actually going to mix the supporting characters and antagonists in this episode because they flip flop second by second panel by panel with Morbius they can either be his ally or they can be his antagonist with the flip of a switch. Some of his supporting characters slash antagonists are his fiance, Martine Bancroft, his childhood friend and science associate, Emil Nikos, or Emil Nikos, Spider-Man, Venom, Blade, Ghost Rider, Blaze and Catch, Doctor Strange, Brother Voodoo, Black Cat, Man-Thing, and Werewolf by Night. I feel like we're going to start seeing so many of these characters in the MCU soon too, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. Like for example, I've never even heard of brother voodoo, but isn't he the one who uh, actually, I, if I, if I was reading correctly, cause we were talking about Baron blood before we started recording this episode, I think he's the one who makes him a vampire. I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. I don't know too much about Brother Voodoo aside from the um, that awesome cover that he premieres in. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to do more research. I just know that he's usually associated with Doctor Strange, and his origin is super interesting because there's stuff going on with his brother and there's spirits, and it, it's a really interesting story that I think could make for a great portrayal on in live action. I know nothing about Brother Voodoo, but I would love to see him down in Nolens, just living it up, being Brother Voodoo, mm -hmm. practicing some witch doctory. Yes, it, it's super cool. I think that's an that's another character that I need to do a deep dive into soon because I need to know more about them. Mm -hmm. All right, now that we've talked about the character and their origins, let's go into the archives. So before we start talking about the creators, I think we have to mention that with Morbius showing up in issue 101 of The Amazing Spider-Man, issue 101 actually marks the first issue of the main series of Spider-Man that was not written by Stan Lee. 
that's surprising too because you know Stan Lee loves his alliteration and <laughs> Dr. Michael Morbius. I mean, you, that seems very, very Stan Lee there. Yes, that's very on point. But it, it's so interesting that he legitimately wrote the first hundred issues of The Amazing Spider Man and then passed it over in 101 to writer Roy Thomas. Now, let's actually take a look into Roy Thomas's career. You want to take that, Chris? Yes, absolutely. So Roy Thomas was the writer for the Morbius issues. Uh, while working as a high school English teacher, he took over as editor for the fanzine Alter Ego during the emerging Silver Age of comics. Thomas would regularly write in and have his letters printed in both Marvel and DC Comics. He moved to New York City in 1965 to begin work as Mortimer Weisinger's assistant editor at DC Comics on a several-week trial basis. If you don't recognize Weisinger's name, he is the co-creator of Aquaman and Green Arrow. After coming home with tears in his eyes after working with the notoriously difficult Weisinger, Thomas wrote to Stan Lee about how much he admired his work. Lee would call Thomas and offer him a Marvel writing test as a result. Fantastic Four annual two pages with blank text bubbles. Yeah, so basically what Marvel would do, and we've talked about it in previous episodes, Marvel, when they wanted to see if writers would come on the team, they would give them this writing test, and they would take a page from the comics and take out all of the text and have the potential writer fill it in to make an interesting story. And multiple times they used the Fantastic Four annual two. That's awesome. I love that. That is such a cool test. Imagine, mm -hmm. imagine having that opportunity. It's like, do you go for the moonshot and do like the craziest, like little story blurb, or do you just try to keep it like, do you keep it kind of, I don't want to say mundane, but very normal so that it feels like it's just another page in a comic. Right. It, it's that thought of, do I need to go along with what I've seen in the storylines before? And so it makes sense. Or do I try to put my own twist on it and see if they like my feel it, it, you have to kind of know the mindset of who's ever reading it yeah that's really interesting um he worked at dc for a total of eight days before accepting a job at marvel <laughs> comics as a staff writer he made it a week though so you got to give yeah. him some props for that <laughs> yeah, yeah he was just crying when he would come home every day <laughs> uh but he would quickly transition to an editorial assistant because he knew so much about marvel continuity uh, he was told by Weisinger to leave immediately when he gave him his notice. Yeah, so he went back. He went back to DC after doing his like writing test to let him know that he's accepting a position over at Marvel. And Weisinger just immediately is like, "Get out! You, you need." To <laughs> uh, so his uh, work at Marvel would include Sergeant Fury in his Howling Commandos, X Men, The Avengers, and Doctor Strange. Now, some of Thomas's co-creations include Man-Thing, Wolverine, Ultron, Carol Danvers, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze, Brother Voodoo, Werewolf by Night, Vision, Yellow Jacket, Dane Whitman's Black Knight, Adam Warlock, and of course, Morbius the Living Vampire. What a roster. Whew, yeah, he's a beast. He's got so many co-creations under his belt. I love that he's got some some A-list heroes and villains on there. And then he's also got some more background characters, which I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, which makes it possible for you to actually get their first appearances still because they're somewhat affordable. Uh Lance, I'm gonna be uh I'm gonna be saving towards property with some of these pulls that you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, um Thomas would assume the role of editor-in-chief at Marvel, succeeding Stan Lee as he would become Marvel's publisher in 1972. Yeah, and I just got to say, I've met Roy Thomas, and he is just one of the nicest guys around. You love to see it. You love to see the good guys win. Yeah, I, I got to meet him at a convention, and he was just taking his time to talk to every single person that was coming up to his table while other creators are charging for photos, he legitimately was like, hey, do you want to take a picture with me? And then I just got to go behind his desk and just take a picture with him. So super nice guy. That's really cool. And it's crazy to to think that like how history could have gone differently had Weisinger been a little kinder to him. You know, he could have been working with DC. Yeah. Just imagine some of the these characters that he, cre he co-created. Maybe some of them would have ended up at DC. Who knows? 
Whew. Yeah. Now let's move on to our artist and penciler for this episode, Gil Kane. He was actually born Eli Katz in Latvia in 1926. His family moved to Brooklyn, New York, where he would attend high school, but actually left his senior year to begin work at MLJ Comics, which would later be known as Archie Comics. His first work for the future Marvel company was in 1944 as one of two inkers for a 28-page story in Young Allies 11, while at the same time, he was also working at what would be the future DC Comics as a ghost artist for Jack Kirby's Sandman superhero story in Adventure Comics 91. Now that same year, Kane would serve in World War II. I believe he was serving for about 19 months when he returned, and in the 1950s, Kane was working as a freelancer for DC Comics predecessor National Comics. His co-creations at DC include How Jordan's Green Lantern, that's a big one, Star Sapphire, and Ray Palmer's Adam. Kane would also freelance at Marvel with the pseudonym Scott Edward, but would later drop the pseudonym and just go by his, his other pen name, Gil Kane. He would co-create Abomination while working on Hulk and then succeed John Romita on The Amazing Spider-Man. Just prior to the issue we're talking about where Morbius would premiere, which is Amazing Spider-Man 101, there was a short run from issues 96 to 98 of The Amazing Spider-Man, which would be a monumental moment in the comics industry, as these issues were the first to print without the approval of the Comics Code Authority since its inception in 1954. Chris, these issues were printed without the approval of Comics Code. They did not have the code seal on their covers. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about why that was? Yeah, I I found this super fascinating. Um, So I wasn't familiar... It's hard for me to imagine a time when comic book stores were not prominent or had really not come on the scene. You know, um, they were still selling them in gas stations and your equivalent of a CVS or a Walgreens, you know, drugstores, that kind of thing. Um, and the the seal, the Comics Code of Authority seal, was kind of the okay for these companies to have them distributed into their shops. Um, so most of the time, if they didn't have that seal on them, they, these stores were not purchasing them to sell out. The Department of Health actually reached out to Stanley and Marvel um, regarding the upsurge of drug overdoses, and um, they wanted to have a Spider-Man comic where Spider-Man addressed drug addiction and helped uh, a someone kind of overcome that. Because of the comics code of authority, they did not permit drug use within comics. Um, but Stanley and Marvel said, no, this is really important. So they went ahead and they they made this comic. Upon it being released, stores were like, well, it's Spider-Man. Of course, we have to carry it. So they carried <laughs> it without the Comics Code of Authority seal. Um, because of this, the Comics Code of Authority also had rules on not having supernatural creatures within comics. So this actually, because they did this this drug addiction comic uh, with Spider-Man where he's helping you know a junkie, um, supernatural creatures were then allowed to, to come into the MCU and that kind of opened the door for Morbius to be created, which I thought was a really, really interesting little, little fun fact. When they released these issues, ASM 96 through 98, there was such a positive reaction and high sales that the code would be revamped and be less restricted and allow more things to appear in comics. So that's what we, what Chris just said, that the, the code lessened its restraint and allowed these characters that were like horror characters, like werewolves, ghouls, zombies, and vampires to show up in these storylines again, because before it was like no anything horror related, no talking about drugs and realize that there's interesting stories and important stories that can be told in comics that you, you have to talk about those tough issues. So it's because of these issues from the amazing Spider-Man that we were able to get Issue 101 of The Amazing Spider-Man, which would be the first appearance of Morbius the Living Vampire. It's crazy how much weight Spider-Man carried and how influential it continues to be in comics history and obviously now in film history. Um, I, I really appreciate the, that it was kind of like paving the way for so many other types of stories to be told. Yeah, it's... Spider-Man has done a lot for the comic book industry. And I feel like there's multiple stories like this throughout 
the entire run of The Amazing Spider-Man. Now, a fun fact about the creation of Morbius, Gil Kane actually designed Morbius's look based on Count Dracula from the 1974 TV film based on Bram Stoker's Dracula portrayal by actor Jack Palance. Chris, do you recognize that name? I recognize the name. I just had to pull up a picture of him, and I definitely recognize him. So that's Curly from City Slickers. (laughs) So if you haven't seen City Slickers, it's a film from 1991 with like Billy Crystal and Daniel Stern, and it's amazing. But I thought that was super funny that Morbius is based off of Curly from City Slickers. I'm looking at his discography too, or his filmography, and apparently he was in the 1991 Batman film. I'm trying to figure out 1989. Excuse me. Oh, I didn't even realize that he's got he's Jack got Nicholson. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that he's got multiple comic book <laughs> appearances and affiliations. Man, to be immortalized as a comic book character would be so sick. Right. We can all dream. <laughs> All right, now that we've talked about these creators, let's get into our pull list. How about you want to start this one, Chris? Sure. So my pull list recommendation is The Rise of the Midnight Suns, created by Howard Mackey and Andy Kubert. Now, some of you may be familiar with this. If you're not super familiar with the comics, they announced a video game that's coming out. I believe it's this year, um, in 2022, hopefully, maybe 2023. Fingers you know how these things go <laughs> yeah um but uh this story is insanely awesome i had heard of the midnight suns um and the squad is really really cool uh we've got two ghost riders that's johnny blaze as well as oh what's the other one catch catch yes um we also get blade and company blade and his two uh i'll call them cronies they deserve more respect <laughs> than that but you know it's it's a blade centric story um and it's a team that was arranged by dr strange actually um blade's team's called the night the night stalkers frank drake and hannibal king um and then i know i'm oh uh victoria montesi louise hastings and interpol agent sam buchanan not to forget our dude, Morbius, Michael Morbius. This story is so wild. Uh, we've got a ancient evil, the mother of demons, Lilith, who is a powerful necromancer. And uh, this dates all the way back to pre-cataclysmic Atlantis. Um, she was an Atlantean sorceress that drew her power from having children. Uh, the more children she had, the stronger she became. Well, at some point, she was having too many children. Uh, so the Atlantean sorcerers put her inside of a biblical Leviathan, Tiamat, which uh, if you're a Final Fantasy fan, Tiamat is one of the monsters from one of the Final Fantasy games. They locked her away and uh, she left many of her children behind, which she called her Lilin. Um, little egotistical there, Lilith. And uh, the body of this Leviathan was uh, remained buried for millennia until discovered in recent years in the frozen wastelands of Greenland. Wink, wink, midnight sun over Greenland. Um, So at this time, Dr. Strange, he became aware that Lilith was starting to regain her power and soon would rise from her long slumber. uh, And she intended to open a dimensional rift that would enable her to conquer the world with her Lilin brood. Um, so strange decides that he's going to put together this team, uh, the nine also known as the midnight Suns, which were prophesized to stopping Lilith. Uh, none of them alone were strong enough to stop her, but together they fulfilled the prophecy. Um, and we get some really, really cool fights. We get some awesome demons, her, her Lilins, such as blackout, which is, uh, awesome villain um, and her other two Lillin uh, Creed and Pilgrim and uh, mixed into all of this is the Darkhold, which is something that's been recently introduced on uh, in the MCU. That is the tome or the grimoire that uh, Wanda finds at the end of WandaVision. 
which I imagine will play a significant role in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, Doctor Strange is playing with the Dark Hold in in that trailer, so it's about to get wild. Yeah, I can't, oh man, that's gonna be. Uh, I'm, I'm so ready for to, that movie. I was gonna say I'm starting to geek already. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so there's like a lot of elements in this comic that tie to other stuff in the MCU, which I find very interesting. Um, it's also just got a, a darker, edgier feel to it. Um, plus, we get both of the Ghost Riders that are just just wrecking. They just wreck demons in this, which I'm a huge fan of. And man, fingers crossed, you know, we're getting Morbius. We're getting Blade. Let's get some Ghost Rider in here. Yes, please. I need I need a good Ghost Rider. I even saw speculation. There was like, uh, you know, the rumor mill is afoot, but uh, Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider potentially popping in in Multiverse of Madness, which I would freak out about because that movie was terrible, but that would be awesome to see Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider again. Yeah, the stories were not good in those movies, but I loved the look of Ghost Rider in those oh, films. Oh, yeah. Like we got to see, we got to see Ghost Rider ride his motorcycle up a building. Yeah, and Sam Elliott on the like undead horse. Yes, I, I thought that was sick. I I was super excited because like I've talked about on the podcast before, like during the pandemic, being a buddy in order to make money, we're buying and reselling collections. But each time we bought a collection, we were like, we need to keep a book from it to remind us of what we found here. Like at least one. And in one of the collections I found was Ghost Rider number one, uh, but it's of the Ghost Rider on the horse. So he's just in like the white, his like white suit on a white horse. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's from like 1963 or four. So it's an older book. It looks awesome. Yeah. So a lot of really familiar faces in this. Um, and basically the story culminates with the nine teaming up going to Greenland to showdown against um against Lilith. And what there's some really, really cool points in here. Um now I wouldn't say this is definitely a or necessarily a Morbius centric comic. Um, but because I feel like for me personally, Ghost Rider kind of takes the show. Uh, a lot of the time, but uh, there's some awesome. Wh- what's his? Is it called the Stare of Vengeance? Oh, the, the Penance Stare. Penance Stare. Yeah, he at one point tries to use that on her or on Blade, <laughs> and Blade like throws his samurai sword, his katana up between them, and reflects it back at Ghost Rider, and. Ghost Rider is like completely disabled from that, which I thought was so cool. Um, <laughs> so it's a very nineties comic. Uh, and by that, I mean, really awesome, gritty, super action packed. Um, and yeah, so it's fantastic. I would highly recommend this one. Um, I won't go through the, the whole spiel here, but um, they do show down against the mother of demons and I'll leave it to be determined whether or not they they win or they lose nice that's awesome now my poll for this is going to be morbius the living vampire but the trade paperback old wounds which came out in 2019 is written by vita ayala who is an incredible writer they're actually currently writing static for dc And so they just finished up season one and just announced that they will be doing season two, which I cannot wait for. It is easily one of my favorite comics that is coming out right now. So this was a, an instant must read for me on my list. So again, Vita Ayala is the writer and I apologize for the next two names because I'm going to butcher them. Uh, (laughs) Marcelo Ferreira and Roberto Poggi, Poggi. Those are the two artists from this run. And this was such a fun read. It, it's dark. There, there's obviously a lot of messed up parts within Morbius' story. But the premise is Morbius is trying to uh, find a cure for himself, as he always is. But he le- being less scientific, he's basically 
going into these like warehouses where junkies are like using chemicals and all these things. And he's just stealing equipment as much as he can. He's doing quick experiments and he's like, maybe this is the one that's going to cure me. And he injects himself. And rather than helping him, it starts this process of further mutation towards being more animalistic rather than being human. Ooh. And it becomes so interesting and he's just a, is evolving over these five issues and getting bigger and more like you can see bones coming out more. He starts to develop his wings. It is very cool to see the transition throughout each issue. And the storyline also includes uh, someone from someone from Morbius's past that is come back for revenge because obviously there's plenty of people that he's wronged. And this one in particular has a very close connection to Morbius's origin. I won't say who it is just because it's part of like the main part of the story, but we also get Spidey in the story as well. And it, it, anytime Ooh. you get Spidey and Morbius together, it's a good time in this storyline as well. I really enjoyed the art. There's some times where Morbius, it, they do like larger action panels and Morbius just looks absolutely terrifying. He has blood coming off of his hands and off of his mouth. His eyes are like this deep red. And the line action showing his motion is so cool. Uh, I strongly suggest reading this. So Morbius the Living Vampire, that came out in 2019. Lance, not to derail us for a second, but... It's a podcast. It's We're, we're meant to derail. It's a podcast. <laughs> What are the chances that we get, you know how the DC animated universe can be really, really gritty and dark. What yeah. are the chances that we get like a blade Morbius uh, Marvel animated that's like R rated? Cause I, I need that. Ooh, I'm trying to think, has there even been like an R rated Marvel animated anything? No, I would even take a R rated Deadpool. Yeah. Like, well, obviously we got the film, but I yeah. mean, like I would take an animated Deadpool yeah, for sure. We Well, we almost got that. Childish Gambino, Donald Glover was writing it for FX, and then they canceled it. What? How did I not hear about this? Yeah, he he was brought on to, to like create it and write it, and then FX came out. I'm pretty sure it was FX. They came out and said, like, oh, he's too busy. And Glover's like, uh, I'm not too busy. I wrote the first episode. Here's the script. Everyone can read it. Oh, my God. I need to read that. Yeah. So, yeah, I was I was bummed when we didn't get like it, we could have had Donald Glover writing a Deadpool animated series. That would have been incredible. That would have been so awesome. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. But I I I want Marvel to release things that are a little bit grittier just cuz there are stories that like need a little bit more of of that R-rated feel. But I I feel like they only ever push like the heavy PG-13. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one day, maybe we'll see. It just won't be on Disney plus. We know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say it, it gives me some hope. Cause like the Batman was PG 13, but man, there was parts of that movie that felt like an R rated horror or like uh horror, you know, crime noir. <laughs> yeah. We're watching people get beat over the head with like certain <laughs> instruments that I won't say. Cause when you find out what it is, it's kind of yeah. a big twist, <laughs> but yeah, there's like brutality in that film. Yeah. Okay, now that we talked about our pull list reading suggestions, let's talk a little bit about a Grail find. Now, now, Chris, I know you don't collect a lot of comics, and but do you do you have anything Grail find related to Morbius? Uh, just the Maximum Carnage issue that uh, I think I actually sent you a picture of the one that he's featured in you at did. my local comic store. I think I may have to go and pick that up, um, but. I just have such a special place in my heart for that comic in particular. It's, it's one that I read as a child. I, you know, stole it from my brother's comic collection and was like, Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> um, and thus began my obsession with carnage. But uh, yeah, that that's a insanely awesome comic. I don't know if it's worth anything in particular, but I will say that it's just very cool. And it's got so many, it's the cast in that comic is insane. There's so many characters. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So we had we had talked about Maximum Carnage in length in our Carnage episode, but obviously, like you said, Chris, Morbius is a part of the team that ends up helping Spider-Man in that storyline. So if you wanted another story that features Morbius, you should also check out Maximum Carnage. 
my grail find is actually another one of those I saw a listing on offer up for a lot of uh, Amazing Spider-Man issues. So I went out to go check them out and started pulling them out and made a stack of the ones I wanted. And sometimes people like to put two issues in a single bag and board. And so when I turned over an issue that I was like, oh yeah, I'll add that. And I flip it over and Amazing Spider-Man 101 is on the other side. Ooh, that's a score. Yeah. And I got like the lot for a really great price. And so I actually own the first appearance of Morbius. Lance, you're going to have the first appearance of everyone coming to film and TV in like the next five <laughs> years, man. I wish I had. I wish I had Werewolf by Night. Jeez, that book is skyrocketing right now. <laughs> oh, so cool. Uh, and actually, another book I'm hunting right now is going to be Ghost Rider 31, which is the first full appearance of the Midnight Suns. Yeah, and that book isn't very expensive either. You can buy them for like 20 bucks or less. Dang. Yeah, so that that's one I'm going to go snag. And and I'll, I'll shout out to uh, Spectales, another amazing podcast. They actually turned me on to that one because they do speculation of like what books that you should be hunting down. And when in one of their episodes, they said uh, they had mentioned, oh, first Midnight Suns, Ghost Rider 31. And I immediately in my head was like, why in the world do I not already own this book? Like, <laughs> like the Midnight Suns are so cool. And I love every single member of the team. Why would I not own this? And so now I'm going to I've I've started the hunt. I uh, haven't found it in shop yet, but I want to find it in person. So I'm going to keep going between those local shops to find it. All right. We've been talking for a bit, so it's about time for a break. The best way to support us is by leaving a rating and review. A five-star rating goes a long way on Apple Podcasts, and a review about what you liked in the episode does so much more. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we love making it. You can find us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at CBKCast. Comic Book Keepers is hosted by The Geekly Grind. Stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime, and manga to board games, video games, RPGs, and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at The Geekly Grind. And don't forget to check out our good friend and composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. Check his amazing work at Arcane Anthems on Twitter, TikTok, as well as finding all of his music available for free on his Patreon at Arcane Anthems. Now back to the issue. Welcome back. Now it's time to talk about some adaptations. Now, we don't really have too, mon- too many adaptations for Morbius at the moment, but obviously the big one that we're going to go to first is the 1994 Spider-Man animated series version of the character. Chris, like, what's your experience with, with Morbius in the animated Spider-Man series? Uh, I very, very vaguely remember him having like... Uh, what's the what's the creature from Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth with the eyeballs on his hands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. L- like that, but instead of eyes, like mouths on his hands. Uh, that's yes. that's really all I remember, though. Uh huh. So, the Spider-Man animated series was actually the first version of Morbius outside of the comics. Due to strict censorship surrounding the show, Morbius was forbidden from biting people on the necks and drinking their blood. And so, like you said, like having little mouths on his hands, he actually had like suction cups or suckers on his hands and he would drain the victim's plasma rather than drinking their blood. That's fair. I've donated plasma before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is non-consensual plasma. (laughs) You mean they didn't get a free movie gift card? What the heck? No, they they did not get uh, payment for their services. (laughs) But I, I always thought that was so strange. It's like, he's a vampire. He legit has fangs. And then he's just running towards people trying to like touch him with his weird sucker hands. <laughs> but it's just uh, one of those things where it's just censorship at that time. They're like, okay, so we have a vampire. No biting. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll give him sucker so he can drain their blood. Nope, you can't say blood. Okay, it, pl- plasma. It's like it's like from Arrested Development. No touching. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it's just a really interesting time. So kind of the same thing as like Comics Code Authority kind of limiting what they could have done in the comics. There's obviously also things that they limited on the animated series because I know there's not even like a lot of punching in Spider-Man, the animated series either because they didn't want violence shown on screen. And so Spider-Man like always beats these people with like very interesting ways or using his webs to, to uh, what's the word? <laughs> web them up <laughs> web them up to corral them yeah <laughs> uh but yeah so that's what we have for animated morbius now this part is actually really disappointing when i found this out this breaks my heart man this so sad so in 1998's blade there is actually a deleted scene where morbius makes a cameo portrayed by the director stephen norrington while he's staring down at Blade and Karen Jensen from a rooftop. Now, this was included as a bonus feature on the DVD, but Morbius was set to be, like, the antagonist of Blade 2. Which would have been so much better. It would have been so cool. Like, I like Blade 2 is still awesome. I enjoy Blade 2. But, yeah. oh man, if they could have brought in Morbius to that storyline, it would have been awesome. It kills me, these, like late nineties, early two thousands MCU movies. I, I guess they're just Marvel movies, but it kills me how connected they wanted to be and how like the studios kind of trampled all over that. I.e. Yeah. the, the, the Raimi Spider-Man films. Yeah. It just makes me sad because we had Guillermo del Toro directing blade two. We could have gotten such a good Morbius from him. He is the master of monsters. We could have had the hand suckers. <laughs> I, I'm going to go out and live and say he wouldn't have done that part. <laughs> we, I feel because we would have gotten a vicious version of Morbius. He would have 100% been biting down on people's necks and ripping them apart in this yeah. film. And, it, and it's something that obviously we're going to see a very violent version of Morbius in this next adaptation that we're about to talk about. Cause we have yeah. Morbius, which uh, who's going to be played by Jared Leto. It's now releasing on April 1st of 2022. And we're going to get a vicious one, Morbius. We we've seen like trailers. There's obviously he's literally murdering people, but I feel like del Toro's version would have just taken it to the next level. Oh, yeah. I mean, we only had to wait, what, 24 years to get a fitting live action adaptation of Morbius? Right. It, it, it's unbelievable. Like we were supposed to get it in 98 and now we're here 2022, like you said, 24 years later, and we're barely getting Morbius on the screen. <sighs> and like, and, and this film, we'll see if it even releases. I'm hoping it doesn't get moved again because we were supposed to have this film on July 10th of 2020. Please, please don't make me wait any longer for this. Chris, we were going to record this episode about Morbius like two months ago, but we pushed it back because the movie got pushed back. They're going to have like Zunes and stuff in it. It's going to be so old. <laughs> like, please just release it. Now, I I personally will be disappointed if we don't get a single 30 seconds to Mars song in this movie. Agreed. Put on the kill. Right? <laughs> so fitting. Uh, and and have Morbius sing it. <laughs> right. And, and for anyone that doesn't understand what we're talking about, Jared Leto is the lead singer for 30 Seconds to Mars. Yes. And he was also uh, in that House of Gucci movie recently. Which you just, did you walk out of that movie? That's like one of the only movies I've walked out of in the past five years. I could not <laughs> handle it. I laughed so hard when you said that like in the podcast it's so funny it's like i it is two plus hours and i made it like an hour and 20 minutes in and i was like i literally can't do this anymore ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing and, and so just we chris and i were talking about this before we started recording but as far as being believe we believe that the villain for this film is going to be matt smith's character who if you don't know who matt smith is he he was the 11th doctor for doctor who He's an incredible actor. I, I strongly recommend if you are trying to get into Doctor Who, uh, you have David Tennant, who played the Purple Man in uh, Jessica Jones, the Netflix Netflix Marvel show. 
who yep. is amazing. So we have the 10th Doctor there, and then Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor, is now going to be in playing a Marvel character as well. And he'll be playing Lo- Loxius Crown, who, like, they show him menacingly walk forward in, in the trailer. I'm like, that's definitely our antagonist in this film. <laughs> and, th- and then just looking up him as a character, because uh, I didn't know Loxius Crown before, but looking him up, I was like, oh, this guy is definitely the villain for this movie. Yeah, I think he's going to be awesome. I'm excited, especially when you told me what what character you think he is. Yes, yeah, it'll be fun. And and we'll leave that kind of open so people can still have a chance to be like, oh, I want to kind of go in the dark with that one. So we'll leave that one there. Mm-hmm. All right, now we finally come to near the end of the show, so it's time for my personal favorite segment. What, what is each issue we do what nerds do best, we share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. And this week, we decided to think about what monster or monster hunter would you like to see face off against Morbius? All right. I, I am very excited to hear yours, Chris. I didn't look at the notes for yours yet. So hit me with it. Okay. So I want Trevor Belmont from the Castlevania animated Netflix series. Yes. He's so sick. And I would love to see him just go ham with, he's got a variety of weapons that he uses, but seeing him show down, especially because, you know, Morbius is not impervious to normal, like sword and knives and whips and things like that. Um, he's got a really, really dope morning star weapon yes. that. I would love to see him just face off against him. And, you know, he's very acrobatic. So I feel like it would be a cool mix of like a blade style character with like the acrobatics of like a Robin or even like a Spider-Man without the spider senses. And I just think that showdown would be epic. Yes. I think that'd be so cool. Like, honestly, as soon as you said like that animated series, because and, and everyone, if you have not watched the animated Castlevania show, on Netflix it, it's it's finished now and it is so much fun it is beautifully animated and the story is incredible the voice acting is awesome yes. please go watch it and so I think that is an incredible choice as soon as you said that I was like oh man uh if let's so let's say if somehow Morbius was brought into the time period where Castlevania is set in because you know time travel Mm-hmm. And you had Morbius legitimately like in Dracula's castle, like fighting Trevor Ooh. Belmont. And there, there's so many different vampires in that universe. And just based off of storyline, I think it'd be really interesting that if Morbius tried to suck the blood or drain the blood of one of the other vampires there, or even if he was able to do it to Dracula and he gets like a power bump in, in order to fight Trevor, because I feel like, Morbius just needs like a little bit of a boost to really go after this version of Trevor Belmont. Oh, for sure. I mean, Trevor is deadly with that whip. Now, since since Morbius isn't a supernatural vampire, it wouldn't just explode Morbius the moment it touches him, which I think would make the fight even more interesting. Uh, I think that'd be a really cool moment if if uh, Belmont was able to like hit him square with the Morningstar and it doesn't just like shatter him into a million pieces. So then Trevor's like, like, what are you? <laughs> yeah, he would uh, he would drop a uh, a very specific expletive, I feel like. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, uh, along the same field. So I also went with another monster hunter uh, rather than just going and choosing another monster. And I chose Van Helsing. Ooh. And there, there is a Van Helsing in the in Marvel Comics, but he's set, obviously, back in his own time period. So same concept. I would want Morbius to go back to Van Helsing's time period just because I, I love that, like, old time, like, aesthetic, just like the buildings. And I, I love monsters and monster hunters just set in that time period. Yeah. I, I very much am thinking about, like, the Hugh Jackman version of Van Helsing that has mm-hmm. all these really interesting gadgets and the saw blade arm, like all those cool weapons that he has in the film, the, cr- the, the automatic crossbow with the revolving 
like cylinder or with the revolving clip. Yes, I I freaking love that movie. I don't I don't care what anyone says. I love that movie. It's great. Yeah, I will not hear slander of Van Helsing. Also, tangent, um for the longest time Universal Studios here in in uh Orlando, Florida, they had a entire exhibit of all of the different weapons and stuff from Van Helsing. Oh. And they had all the props and it was so cool, especially his two um what are they called? The things that he pumps with his hands that he uses to fight uh, Mr. Hyde. Oh, yeah. Like the saw blade. Uh, yes. Like hands. Yeah. Those things are awesome. I would love to see him show down against Morbius with those. Yeah. And I, I feel like it would be cool because uh, Van Helsing's transformation into a werewolf is still probably my favorite werewolf transformation in a film because yeah. I, I loved like the bulky design of his werewolf. And I, I, I know the CGI isn't the greatest, but I watched it. And for the time period it came out, I'm like, this still looks really good for the time it came out. Yeah. So I think it would be very interesting if in this version, Van Helsing and Morbius are fighting. Morbius bites him to try and drain him. And he thinks he's like, okay, he's down for the count. But then it's the bite that kind of starts that chemical interaction inside of Van Helsing to turn him into a werewolf for the first time. It's just like, so how he uh, basically caused blade to turn into a, a dompier mm-hmm. that now he does the same thing for Van Helsing, but he turns into a werewolf. And I think the reaction Morbius would have when Helsing turns into a werewolf for the first time, is going to be like, what is happening? <laughs> Am I a werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> like how, how did this, I'm a vampire. A scientific vampire. I bite this man. He turns into a werewolf. What's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I'm picturing Morbius too as the version from the the run that you read where he's like very animalistic. He's got like the bat wings like and he's just like a straight up demon, like not not even barely humanoid. Yeah, they're be very cool. And that really is kind of like the final showdown of Van Helsing as well. Like Dracula turns into that giant bat monster creature thing too. So maybe yes. I just want to recreate Van Helsing, but <laughs> I'm here for it, Lance. I'm here for it. Yes. All right. Well, we are coming down to the end. So Chris, why don't you hit everyone with where they can find you and your amazing podcasts? Yeah, so my show, I do it with two other hosts, Trent and Brandon. Uh, it's called the Geek Peak Podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Peak Pod. You can also find all of our links at geekpeakpod.com. We talk all things pop culture. We do tournaments. We do uh, trivia. We do topical episodes. We even cover some conspiracy theories here and there. Um, and uh Besides that, I also do a horror-centric podcast, which I appreciate the the monster talk that we had here, Lance. Mm-hmm. Um, my horror podcast I do with two other podcasting all-stars that we met in the community. That's Josh from Four Nerds by Nerds and Miles from The Disc Dump. That podcast is called High on Horror. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at H on H pod. And uh, we do weekly episodes Every week we cover different horror movies um, as well as talk general horror stuff. I think one of our recent episodes was our top horror movies from the 90s. um, And we have a lot of fun on that one. So if you're into blood and gore and horror, then that is the show for you. Come check it out. Come hang out with us. The Geek Peak and Iron Horror are honestly two of my favorite podcasts that I listen to. As soon as there's a new episode, I immediately put it on on my drive and it makes it so much better we do like to have fun uh i guess one thing i should mention on geek peak is uh we do kind of we do song recommendation recommendations every week which lance is always hitting me up like oh i love this song which i always appreciate the support mm-hmm. my friend yeah and uh we also we sample beverages each week so we have either a beer or a cocktail or wine um and we review them so if you like to drink or you're looking to expand your palate for alcoholic beverages then we're always covering different stuff. So again, come hang out with us, come have a beer, come hear your boys argue over which uh, Spider-Man's the best or whether or not Batman versus Superman is good. Or if Jared Leto would have been a better Joker, if they'd given him more time on uh, the Snyder cut. 
Jeez, you're, you're opening up a can of worms at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And again, like I cannot recommend your shows enough. So everyone get out there, look up the Geek Peak podcast as well as High on Horror. It's time to close the book on Morbius the Living Vampire. So until next time, this is Lance. And this is Chris. Reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. Closer.